last week we started this new series called Resolution, and we said that most people, when they make resolutions, they ask, what should I do about me? And they're focused on self-improvement. And there's nothing really wrong with self-improvement because we know if you don't take care of your body now, there's going to be a day in the future you're going to pay the consequences. If you don't take care of your finances now, there's going to be in the day in the future when you're going to wish that you had taken care of your finances. But there's a bigger question, a better question that people started asking last week. Hopefully more people are going to start asking today. And really, if you think about it, The reason you're here today is because someone somewhere in your past asked God, what should I do around me? They answered God's call and God made sure that you came across their path at the right time. And you're here today because somebody asked, what should I do around me? They obeyed God and did what God said them to do, said for them to do. Um, there was a kid, there, he's not a kid, he's a man now, he's a pastor in my youth group, but 20 years ago, he was a kid. I remember when he first came. In fact, um, Jeff led him to Christ one night after a Wednesday night Bible study back when I was a youth minister. A couple of weeks ago, his best friend had a birthday, and he's a pastor now in Florida, and his best friend, uh, he said to him, he said, man, I want to tell you thank you, because if it hadn't been for you in sixth and seventh grade asking me every weekend to come to this boring place called church... He said, I would never be where I am today. And so he just wanted to say thank you that this young guy in sixth and seventh grade asked him over and over to come to church. He came to church. He gave his life to Christ. He's been a minister several places here in Texas. Now he's a a college minister in Florida. It all goes back to someone asked, what should I do around me? And the sixth grade boy said, I'm going to invite my best friend to come to church. My story goes back way back before I was born. Um, My mom had a favorite uncle. His name was Walt, Uncle Walt. He was my great uncle. And um, I didn't know for years why he was my mom's favorite until she started telling me stories. When she was little, she was the oldest of eight children. They were very, very poor. And um, had some issues in the house. My, my grandfather was, a, was an abusive man. And, and so, anyway, had some issues. Well, she loved this Uncle Walt. Uncle Walt used to come by every Sunday morning, pick mom up, take her to church. And so, a few years ago, I said, okay, I want to make sure, you know, while you're still alive, and I'm glad I asked this, I want to make sure I've heard this story correctly. Is it true that, that Uncle Walt came and got you every Sunday? Yes, every Sunday. And I said, is it also true that when, because they lived on a farm, way out in the middle of nowhere, down a dirt road, and when it would rain, in, in central Texas, it would be so muddy that he couldn't get his Model A down there to pick up my grandma, I mean my mother. And so what he would do is Uncle Walt would go out to the, to the barn, he would hitch up a horse to a wagon, and he would go pick up my mom and, and take her to church. I said, is that true? She goes, yes, it's very true. Mom loved the church from the time she was 14 until she was um, 89 when she passed away. Um, she played the, the piano or the organ in the church, and that was ingrained in me. I grew up in the church. I loved the church. I gave my life to the church, um, to, to Jesus Christ, because my mom loved church and it impacted me in a deep way. And my mom was impacted because her uncle, Uncle Walt, loved church. He asked, what could I do around me? What he could do around him was go pick up a little girl and take her to church. He had no idea how the, the future would be impacted by that simple thing. If you will ask God what needs to be done around me, he will make sure that he uses you to do something that's bigger than you. 
Last week, we talked about a guy named Nehemiah. There's a book in the Old Testament about him, and he was cupbearer to the king, which is an important position. Nehemiah asked about Jerusalem. It was 900 miles away. He had never been there. He was worried about Jerusalem, about his people, and when he heard his heart was broken, because his heart was broken, he said, God, what can I do? God led him back to Jerusalem to build the wall around the city in 52 days, things that they said could not be done because his heart was broken. So we want to challenge you to look around and say, what breaks my heart? And don't sit around saying somebody else should do something about that. You do something about that. Um, when, when I want you to think about it this way, at the end of your life, what do you want people to thank you for? I want people to, to look at my life and say, Doug loved his family. He loved new life community church and he loved Haiti. And if those are the things I want people to say about me, I need to align my life today, this very day around those things, or it's not going to happen. Um, and, and so what I want you to ask is this. I want you to ask at the end of your life, I would like people to thank me for blank. You fill in the blank because it's going to be different for every one of us. Now, let me tell you the problem with this line of thinking. The problem is it will cost you your life. If you start asking what needs to be done around me, you ask God, God's going to call you to do something that's bigger than you and it's going to cost you something. That's why a lot of people don't do it. It's too costly. Um, it's, it's becoming more and more rare to hear of people that, that give their life away. And, and because um, it's going to cost us time, because it's going to cost us money, because it's going to cost us opportunities, we're going to give up opportunities outside these walls to do things inside these walls. Because of that, it's too costly. A lot of people walk away. They say, I can't do that. It costs too much to be a follower of Christ. And we lose a lot of people. That's because here's, here's the real issue. You and I left to ourselves, we're these now, I don't mean this in a good way, you know, because I've, I've taught a message before where this is a life-saving station and, and we're like the people on the East Coast whenever, you know, a boat was going down, they had to go out and they had to save those lives. I'm not talking about getting people in the kingdom of God. I'm talking about left to ourselves. I'm all about preserving my life. How dare you ask me to do that? I've got other things to do. You're about preserving your life. You're about saving your life. The problem is in the kingdom of God, God doesn't call us to be lifesavers. He calls us to be life givers. And there's the big problem. It's rare to hear folks that do this. Um, you know, one of the things I do is, is I look in a political, um, whenever we're going to have an election, I look at the candidates. And one of the things I look at is I look at their giving. I want to see how they give to charity, their time and their money, how they give to charity. And, and down the ballot this last time, and this has actually been consistent for several elections, most of the candidates give less than 2% of their income to charity. To me, that says their heart's in the wrong place. Because I believe how you give, whether it's given to the church or whether you give somewhere else, I believe how you give indicates the condition of your heart. And I can't vote on somebody who says, you need to give money to this, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not one of those do as I say guys. I'm one of those do as I do guys. And so if somebody doesn't give, then, then I, don't, I don't trust that their heart is in the right place. And, and so anyway, let me give you a summary today right now of Jesus teaching. And then we're going to look at specifics where Jesus teaches this. Here's the summary. Whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. That's such a deep statement. I'm going to read it again. Whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. Jesus said, if you live your life for you, at the end of your life, you'll have a big fat zero. He says, the thing you want so much is to save your life, you're going to lose it and you're going to end up having nothing to show for your life. Now, we're going to look at when Jesus teaches this specifically in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. 
large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, this is an understatement. If you study Jesus' life, you see that people came around. He was, he was a life giver. He, he uh, healed people. He did all kinds of incredible things. Wherever Jesus went, huge crowds were around him. It's why he would sometimes get in a boat and push off a little bit from shore, and he would teach from the boat because people were crowding in around him. It's why he would teach on the mountainside. His very first mountain is a sermon on the mount. I got to be in that location, and it's up on this kind of bowl-shaped mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. My brother went down about 100 feet, and he started reading the Scripture. And Janie and I were at the top of this thing where, where they think the, the Sermon on the Mount happened, and you could hear very clearly. It's why he would do these things. He would try to get back a little bit from the crowd, and he would, he would teach them. Sometimes he would get in the boat, and the Bible tells us he would, he would drive. He would sail across the Sea of Galilee to get away from people because crowds were always crushing in around him. And I don't know if you've been places where you're in a big crowd of people you don't know. Disney World is one of those places. Disney World, when it's hot and you go inside and there's lots of people you don't know and they're crowding in around you and they smell bad. This is not a good thing. I want you to think about the kind of people that were around Jesus. The people who needed Jesus were not the religious people, not the rich people. The people who needed Jesus were stinky people. They were poor people. They were sick people. And you know what they all wanted to do when they're crowding around? You know what they wanted to do? Touch him. Dude, in my mind, this is the walking dead. <laughs> Jesus is with the walking dead before there was walking dead. Y'all laughed better. Maybe I, maybe I delivered it better in this service. I did? Okay, they said I did better. First service, they all just looked at me. And said, I thought that was funny. That's why I like having a first service. I can try stuff out and I can do it better. So the walking dead are around Jesus. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, now, one pastor I read said, when you hear what Jesus is about to say to the walking dead, he says, it's more like he turned on them because this is a very unexpected thing he's about to say. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, turning on them. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. I got to tell you, I grew up in the church. I remember being in the nursery in the church. I remember going to children's areas in the church. I remember being in big church and falling asleep because that was boring. But I learned about this story in children's church and it messed me up because I was like... I'm supposed to hate mom and dad. I love my mom and dad. Now, brothers and sisters, I can understand that sometimes. I kind of like them, but sometimes I hate them. I got that. But this messed me up, and nobody ever taught me the meaning of this. For years, I was jacked up. Why would Jesus teach that we need to hate mother and father, brothers and sisters, even our own life? And then I would started doing some studying, and actually I studied a lot on this this week. Jesus is not talking about hate the emotion. If you, I mean, Jesus said in our, in our video, um, love the Lord your God with some of your heart and some of your mind. No, what the scripture says, the number one thing Jesus said in scripture is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And he said, the second thing is love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus teaches us other places that hate the emotion is bad. So he can't be talking about hate the emotion. He's talking about hate as devotion compared to devotion. All right. So it's devotion, priority, or authority. Here's what he's saying. He's saying if your family is the highest authority in your life, if your family is the highest priority in your life, you will not listen to Jesus. Devotion should be so much that there's no question who you follow. And it's not mom and dad. It's Jesus. Hate, not the emotion, hate your own life. It doesn't mean woe is me. It doesn't mean I'm going to take my life. That's not what you get to do. You don't get to call that shot. If you're a follower of Jesus, he decides when you get to go. 
It's about who is in charge. It's about who's going to be my number one priority. Who's going to be in control. And Jesus says, this is all or nothing. I'm in control or I'm not in control. Look what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person, what kind of person? Some person who does not decide that he's number one. Such a person cannot be my disciple. I read that this week and I went, holy cow. If that's the standard, there's a whole lot less Christians out there, a whole lot less Christ followers than we believe. Devotion should be so high that there's no question who we follow. He said, that person is my disciple. See, to be someone's disciple, you had to declare that they were the leader. Leaders had followers. And Jesus doesn't follow you. That's why some of you are in jobs that you shouldn't be in. Because you never talked to Jesus about the job. Jesus saying, you need to go this way. And you're over here hating this job, but Jesus said, I didn't lead you there. You did that all on your, on your own. That's why some of you are in relationships that you shouldn't be in because you chose that relationship. Jesus is going, nope, over here. Uh-uh. I want you to focus on this. I'm in charge. Well, no, you're not really in charge because you don't know, Jesus. You don't know. I'm going to go over here. And then you're miserable. And Jesus said, I could have saved you from that, but you wouldn't listen because I wasn't in charge. Somebody else was in charge. It's why you can be in financial difficulty because you make decisions, you make purchases that Jesus never led you to. There's a, there's a fork in the road, and when Jesus says, I'm in control, you say, no, nah, I don't want to, you're not going to let me have that purchase, so I'm going to go over here. And Jesus said, I'm not in control, and you need to question whether I'm even your Lord because you cannot say no to the Lord. He says, I know you're following me around physically, but you can't be a follower of Christ until you decide who's going to call the shots and who has authority in your life. To hate your own life means you say, Jesus, you're in charge. I'm not. Now, you don't have to study Jesus' life very long at all to realize Jesus didn't come to model self-improvement. Jesus was never about self-improvement. He didn't say there's anything wrong with that, but that's not what Jesus modeled. Jesus denied himself, and really that's what it means. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to do what he says. Following Jesus is about self-denial, not self-improvement. Self-denial, not self-improvement. Jesus is saying he's not, against, he's not against self-improvement any more than he's against your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, or even your own life. He's not against that. He's against it in first place. He's against it when that's in charge. And he's saying you can't follow me and let mommy and daddy tell you what to do. He says, you can't let anyone call the shots, even you, if you're going to be my disciple. Following Jesus is all about self-denial. Look what he says next. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I, I, I did some extra studying on this this week. Listen to what this says about cross. When the Roman Empire crucified a criminal or a captive, the victim was often forced to carry his cross as part of the way to the crucifixion site. Carrying his cross through the heart of the city was supposed to be a tacit admission that the Roman Empire was correct in the sentence of death imposed on him and an admission that Rome was right and he was wrong. So when Jesus told his followers to carry their crosses and follow him, he was referring to a public display before others that Jesus was right and that the disciples were following him even if it meant death. Carrying your cross means there's no doubt. People know who's number one in your life. It's not you. It's not mom and dad. It's not your spouse. It's not your children. It's him. He's calling the shots. Jesus is saying to him, you can be my traveling buddy. You can taste the, the bread and the fish when I, when I multiply them and feed everybody from just a few loaves and a few fish. You can do that. You can watch me heal Blind people. You can watch the deaf receive uh, hearing. You can, you can watch me raise Lazarus from the dead. You can even watch me be resurrected from the dead 
and still not be in the kingdom of God. Because being in the kingdom of God is reserved for children of God. Well, how do you become a child of God? You become a child of God the moment you die to you and you live for Jesus. At this point in his ministry, the what's in it for me crowd left and followed somebody else because this costs too much. It happened in Jesus' day. It happens today. When churches clearly teach the scripture, people get offended, especially in the United States. You go to Haiti with us, they'd be going, yeah, this is exactly how we live. In the United States, no. I I love the Lord with some of my heart, with some of my soul. I'll I'll listen to some of the scripture, but I won't listen to the ones I don't like. It's all or nothing. This teaching costs too much, so they found another leader. And see, when Jesus mentioned the cross, not a person there went, jewelry, I forgot to wear my necklace today. In that day, to mention the cross, because this was a very common symbol, thousands and thousands of people had been crucified on crosses. Thousands and thousands of Jews and Christ followers had been crucified because they simply were of a different race or followed a different religion. They knew about the cross, but it was not a symbol that you would wear on your neck. It would be like today if somebody said, hey, hey, I'm going to wear the electric chair. How many of you have, a, have, have an electric chair necklace that you wear around? You're going, oh, that's gross. How many of you, oh, how about this? How many of you have a syringe for the lethal injection? That's gross, right? That's exactly how they thought of it. When he said cross, nobody thought jewelry. They thought unbelievable torture. And the symbolism was when you carry that cross, you're proclaiming that Jesus is right. I don't care who's in the White House. Jesus is right. It's a declaration of who's going to be in charge. Many people left him because it was just too high a price. Jesus was offering something better. He knew that, but he knew it would cost you your life in order to get it. And too many people said, I can't do that. That costs too much. Now look over in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him. Okay, so in the first one, the crowd was pressing in. This time he calls the crowd. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, not my traveling buddy, not my groupie, not a roadie, not just a member of the crowd who wants to be entertained. He says, anyone who wants to be a follower of mine must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. There's that cross symbolism again. Now look what he says. For whoever wants to save their life, if you're a lifesaver, you are in trouble. If you're a life preserver, you are in trouble. If you're all about expanding your own kingdom, there's no place in the kingdom of God for you. Jesus says, if that's, if that's you, the thing you desperately want, life, you're going to lose it. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me in the gospel... It's not just talking about martyrdom. Yes, Jesus may call you to be a martyr, but this is, this is more than just physical life. This is living for him. To lose your life to Christ meant to say, the answer is yes. Oh, by the way, what's the question? I'm going to follow you regardless of where you lead me. What's the question? He's saying he has to be, Jesus has to be a higher priority than mom, dad, family, even me. Here's my life. Use it how you want. So to lose your life to Christ means, um, means you give up everything and you say yes to him. Whoever makes that decision for Christ, he has a promise. If you will lose your life, he says, you'll save it. 
for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't a call to recklessly throw your life away. A lot of people were doing that without Christ. I know a lot of Christians are doing that. In fact, I know of a ministry years ago. Um, a guy said, God's called me to start this ministry. He's the only one who heard, him call, heard God call him to start this ministry. He didn't talk to anybody else, didn't pray with anybody else, didn't seek any counsel. He said, God called me to start this ministry. And then he pulls out his credit card, and I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars. If he, if he thought he might need it, oh, it's for God. God's going to honor me. He's going to do this. And, and, and I'm going, which God are you listening to? Because I'm not sure the way you're going about this comes from God. It's not backed up in Scripture. And, and I said, I, dude, I, I just don't understand. Sure enough, this ministry fails very, very quickly. Because it wasn't of God. It was all about him. I know way too many ministries that people start because they think it's a good idea, but it's not a God idea. And God doesn't follow you into your ministry area. God calls you into his ministry. Do you see the difference? It's all about him. Losing your life for Jesus and, and the gospel is about letting God call the shots. As long as I'm about me, I can't be the husband I'm supposed to be. I can't be the pastor I'm supposed to be. I can't be the father I'm supposed to be. I can't follow Christ if it's about me. When you ask this question, what breaks your heart? When you ask what needs to be done around me, God, the path will always be led away from you because it's not about you. It's about the kingdom. Jesus is inviting every one of us to a life of self-denial. Do you want to know why? Why, why he, he says self-denial? It's to rescue us from ourselves because our plans are not big enough to invest our lives in. Now, back to this summary of Jesus' teaching. Whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. There's so much more to your life than your bank account or your physical body. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but everybody wants to live for a cause. Everybody wants to do something that's bigger than themselves. Watch the news this week and you'll see some Hollywood star somewhere trying to save something. They live for themselves, but they, they know there's a bigger cause. And so they'll... they'll, they'll um, Protest the Keystone Pipeline because we can't have oil moving through the United States. God forbid we should do that. So it's going to tear up some land and, and some field mice might lose its home. Or they'll be out trying to save the whales and, and, and because, you know, whales are people too. <laughs> they're, they're always trying to save something. And, and let me say this. I'm studying right now. I stu started studying Genesis and I'm going to be studying the whole Old Testament over the next several months has nothing to do with, with preaching, has nothing to do, it, it's just where God is leading me right now. So I just started studying Genesis. And in Genesis, God gives humans responsibility over the planet. So I'm not talking about recklessly going out and tearing down trees and burning stuff up and killing things and just leaving things out there. That's not what I'm talking about. We're supposed to be stewards of this earth. But in Genesis, did you know that God said that the earth will last until he comes back? He's designed it so that there's going to be enough atmosphere, there's going to be enough air, there's going to be enough stuff that, that until he says, time's up. So we don't have to go about saving it because he's already planned for that. Stewarding, yes. We take care of it, yes. But he's already planned that it's going, until he says enough is enough. And then the Bible says we're going to have a new heaven, a new earth. There's going to be this new Jerusalem. He's going to create it all new. So you don't have to save what he's already planned for. Are you with me? Don't tear it up. That's not what I'm saying. But God's already made plans for that. Every person wants to live for a cause. And Jesus gives us that cause, but it costs too much. And so somebody says, I need another cause. Let me save the whales. Let me go hug a tree. I like trees. 
My dad hated him. <laughs> That's why he lived in the panhandle. He couldn't stand not seeing where he'd been. He hated coming down here. Too many dying trees. He actually cut every tree on our property. He tried to cut, he actually cut trees on other people's property without permission because he couldn't stand trees. I'm not talking about that and I'm not talking about hugging the tree. I'm talking about something bigger, something that's permanent. And the only thing I know of that is permanent is the kingdom of God. Our nation is filled with people who are living for themselves. I think everybody here would agree with that. But our church is also filled with people who are living for themselves. It shouldn't be that way. There should be no doubt who's in charge. It's not me. It's Christ. He's the head of the church. Like the husband's the head of the family. I want you to ask yourself a couple of questions. How can you be so full of yourself and still be empty? How can you devote your life to make you happy and still be empty? Jesus tells us the answer. He says, you're temporary and you were created by God to live for something permanent. The only thing permanent I know is the kingdom of God. So here's the statement I want you to carry with you today. This is it. Focus on you. You'll be empty. Empty yourself. You'll be full. It was so nice having Rachel home for the holidays. She's... she's ask if she could sing, and actually I asked her if she would sing over the holidays with us, and it was nice having her here for a month of Sundays, and, and she, I love singing with her. She's got a servant's heart. When she went to college, uh, if y'all were here in, in August when we had her last, uh, her service, and oh my gosh, I lost it. I cried because she was leaving. She cried. Everybody was crying. I had people going, I don't even know your daughter, and I was crying when she left and went off to college. She'd been serving for six years in the band, and, and we figured out she'd given over 2,000 hours to rehearse and, and sing in the band. And so when she went off, she, she went and found a church. She knew that's just part of what she's expected to do. We, we've, we've raised her to, to believe that the church is the hope of the world. So they go and they find this church and they love it. She, she called me and she goes, Dad, there's this guy on the worship team and he sings like butter. It's the smoothest voice you've ever heard. You and mom have to come to church with us sometime. I, all right, baby, we'll come and go to church. On Sunday nights, they have this college program and it's all college. It's really funny. It's kind of what we used to do um, when I was in youth ministry. We would do a Saturday night service so we didn't have the deacons around and they actually joke about the deacons aren't here tonight so we can do this. And we can say this. She said, Dad, y'all got to come check this out. They love this church and they get up and, and they're sitting in that service right now. In, in Nacogdoches. But about a month in, about four weeks in, she calls me. She goes, Dad, I'm coming home in two weeks. Can I sing in the band? And I said, of course you can. She knew the music. She's practiced it. I said, of course you can sing. She said, I love, I love this church. I'm just tired of not serving. I said, baby, you can serve in our church anytime. She serves in the back. She helps Janie. She, she was out here for three hours when we, Janie and I and, 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 uh, and Rachel were the only ones out there putting up the Christmas lights. She just serves. She loves serving. Once you've tasted service in the kingdom of God, sitting is no longer an option. Um, I put down several people here. Um, one one that, that, uh, that I love is, is Casey Fitzgerald. Casey has the gift of teaching. 
If you've heard him teach, you know. You've heard him preach. In fact, he's going to preach for me in a few weeks. He's, he's a gifted teacher. And there's times Casey will come up to me and go, hey, man, I've been thinking about this. We need a class on doctrine. Are you okay if, we, if I teach a class? Of course. He has the gift of teaching. He wants to serve. He's not asking um, what, what's in it for me. He's asking what can I do to build up the church and the kingdom of God. This, this past week, Janie's our, our children's minister. My wife's our children's minister. And so every week, um, we kind of hold our breath to see who's going to call and who can't come teach. And stuff happens. Kids get sick. We have a policy. If your kid's sick, they need to be well for 24 hours before they come. So if you're a teacher and your kid's sick, we tell you to stay home. But then she calls, she'll say, okay, this week looks like fruit basket turnover. And that means she's going to have to fill all kinds of stuff. Because she was already teaching in one class, and so she called somebody else. First person she called was Jamie, actually. And, and she... she hangs up the phone and she goes, I'm so grateful for Jamie. Every time I say, hey, can you switch and do this? She says, of course. And she doesn't roll her eyes. Now, sometimes, you know, she's texting. So I don't know whether Jamie rolls her eyes or not on text, but, but at least Jamie thinks she doesn't roll her eyes. And she just says, yes, let me do what several people this morning, the, the, um, the Allens had to change so that they could fill in somebody's place. And Jeff and Teresa came and they filled in. That's what the kingdom of God should be. It shouldn't be, oh no, I got to serve. It should be God. The answer is yes. What's the question? What do you want me to do for you? Um, one of my favorite people is, is Christina Light. Y'all don't even know what Christina does. Every Thursday or Friday, Christina comes and she, fills, she, she cuts the listening guides and she cuts the registration cards. She's the one that puts them out there on the table. Every week when y'all don't even see it. And if I forget to text her, she'll say, hey, are the listening guides ready? I'll say, yeah, they're ready or they'll be ready in an hour or whatever. She comes up and does that and just has the best time. She's serving. She's asking, what can I do to serve the church? And she comes and does that just because it's in her heart to serve. That's what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. I love, the band loves, we, we love practice. We have so much fun at practice. We worship on Wednesday nights when we're here together. Every one of us would like to go to a conference. I love going to conferences. Janie and I love sitting and being fed. But when I'm being fed, I'm always thinking about you and I'm always thinking I've got to come back and I've got to serve. If when I retire, and I say if, when, because God could take me anytime. I may not get to say, hey, I, re- I retire, I resign from this church. I may not get to do that. But if I do, I'm never going to be able just to sit. One of my dreams, I'd like to take six mission trips a year all over the world. If God leaves me in this church after I retire, I'm going to be pestering you. When are you going to say yes? God's calling you. It's too much money. Well, you're talking to the wrong God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Ask him to sell a few. <laughs> Actually, Baylor University, that happened. Baylor was going to close years ago. And the president prayed, and his prayer was, I'm not making this up. God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. We need you to sell some. Not making it up. His secretary knocks on the door. Some dude had just come in. If I remember the total story, I think there was a, there was a train wreck and there were some, some cows loose, and so they sold them, and he said, we just thought you might need this money. Try that one next time you want to go to Haiti. <laughs> I'm sure you won't tell us unless God sells some cows. Um, once you've tasted service in the kingdom, you can't go back. I, I'm not ever going to be able to sit. I mean, yes, I love being fed. I love going to conferences and worshiping, but I'm, I, I've got to serve somebody. It's just not in my DNA to sit. If it's true that Jesus said, you can't sit, you can't half-heartedly be my disciple, why, why then? In every church I've been in, including New Life Community Church, 
Why is it that 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church? Why is it that 20% of the people give 80% of the money that comes into the church? Why is that? I'll tell you why. And so on your listening guide, it's because your purpose in the kingdom, your purpose, your meaning in life is always just across the border of what's in it for me. All the time, I've been doing this 32 years now. People ask, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? You're totally missing the kingdom. You're missing Jesus' message. It's not about you. Jesus actually has a, has a term for meaning or purpose in life. It's called abundant life. I'll show you where that comes from. He calls it abundant life. This, John 10, 10 says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So the thief, that's, that's Satan. That's the enemy of Jesus. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to rob you of everything in life. So what he says is, you can focus your life on you. Nobody's going to know. Just live for you. Spend your money for you. Live all about you. And what does Jesus say? If you live like that, what do you have at the end of your life? Zero. But then the opposite. Look what Jesus says. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, here's the paradox. If you give your life away for the kingdom, he'll make sure you have life. In fact... Whatever you need more of in the kingdom of God, you give it away. You need kindness, give it away, and God makes sure you get kindness back. You need grace, you give it away, and God makes sure you get grace back. You need forgiveness, you give it away, and God makes sure you get grace, uh, forgiveness back. You need money, you give away a portion of your money, God makes sure that you have money. God multiplies whatever it is that you give him. The reason so many people are empty today, even if you're in this church and you are empty, it's because you've been living your life for you. And Jesus says, that's nothing. So the best thing you could do in 2017 to make your life better has nothing to do with you. Has everything to do about the kingdom. The best thing you can do is say no to you so you can say yes to something bigger. So I want you to ask this question. What breaks my heart? Quit whining about someone should do something about that. If God's brought it to your attention, you're the one that should do something about that. You ask God, what do I do about this thing that you've been troubling me with? Then the second question you ask, who's doing something about that? Who's already involved in that ministry? If there's another church involved in that ministry, if there's another ministry around town, get involved in that ministry. I'm not telling you to go join another church. I'm telling you to go plug in with where God uh, causes your heart to beat, where you resonate, figure out what's going on, and then come back and maybe we need to start a ministry here that goes along with that. Do something for the kingdom. Do something for somebody else if you want 2017 to be different. And Jesus Here's the promise. This is, this is the promise. If you'll do that, if you devote yourself to more than yourself, you'll have more than yourself to show for yourself. Would you bow your heads for a minute? Now, I want you to, I want you to think before you raise your hand. How many of you really would like to experience the abundant life that Jesus Christ offers? Raise your hand. All right, that's most of us. The way you get it is to give yourself away. Father, I pray that that you would fan into flame the gift of God that is in believers so that their hearts are so troubled that they say, if it kills me, I will do something about that in the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus. God, strip away 
idols from our lives. Strip away false thinking from our lives and fill our minds with truth. You said if, if someone will not take up their cross and follow you, they cannot be your disciple. If someone doesn't hate father and mother, brother and sister, even their own life, they cannot be your disciple. God, fan that into flame and teach us what it means to really serve and follow Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.